in true teacher style, I've made you a handout. <laughs> and it's just, it's a little document that puts uh, a little bit of order into my influences, both education influences and artistic influences, in engaging with landscape. And obviously, you know, the landscapes I engage with most, well, mostly in the Peak District, Kinder, definitely on the edges, the ridges, all of those. And when I'm out there, walking, photographing, not often drawing actually, because I don't often draw outside. Most of my work is done back on the kitchen table when I get in. Um, the, these, are the, these are the pieces of artwork that have informed my practice and my educational work the most. In an effort to explain them better to you, you've got an image that you can look at as well. The person with the last few words, why have you brought me here, Wayne? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... I think it's really important as an artist and an educator in the arts to have a, you know, a, a good grounding and a good understanding of the history of art. So as a, as a teacher of art, it's really important for me to make sure I expose the young people um, to that. So where I teach in Chesterfield, um, we're just a stone's throw away from the gallery here in Sheffield. And I used to teach in Sheffield as well, and I've just used the gallery for years. It was the first... Uh, exhibition that I came to see in the area. The Paul Henry piece, Rain on the Bog, which is probably one of the most influential pieces for me and my own personal artistic practice that, uh, that I've ever seen. And that was a piece that I saw here in the first exhibition that I visited. And it's one that stayed with me since because obviously spending so much time out in the Peak District, when don't you see Rain on the Bog? <laughs> and and when, when you see Paul Henry's rendition of it, he doesn't just, it's not a snapshot, it's not a focus, photograph, it's not a caricature and it's not an illustration. It is, it is the closest I've ever seen to capturing the way that it feels when you're out experiencing rain on the bog, which uh, as we know when you're in the Peak District is something that happens frequently and often. But he, he captures it through his painting, you know, the, you can see the clouds, heavy peat, the reflections in the pools of water that he's got on that. You can see the rain, you can feel the wind all through a painting. And I mean, that's the painting that I'd like to start with now, actually. So when you've been walking out on Kinder and you've maybe got some photographs or you've, you've had this experience and you go home and you create an artwork from that, are you also thinking about how other painters put across the feeling that you have when you're out there and the the weather that you're experiencing and the absolutely absolutely it's it's a problem solving exercise i mean i mean one of my favorite quotes and i have it written in the front of my sketchbook is the the robert mcfarlane quote from his wild places book which is natural forces and wild energies often have the capacity to frustrate representation and that's you know never you know when when you try and depict the things that you've felt and that you've seen or that you've heard or you smell in uh, a, a, you know, a, a two-dimensional visual arts form. It is a massive, massive challenge. And as I said before about standing on the shoulders of giants, there are many artists, really, really good artists, that have already solved those problems. So when you go to see exhibitions, and when we're lucky enough today to be in the store where we can see, you know, we can have a, almost like a private view of some of these pieces, so we get to see them up close, you can see how they've solved those problems. So sharing that in a classroom or... Developing that in your own practice is uh, it, it's absolutely vital. Yes, you have them in your mind. I don't know whether you do, but when you're out, even though you know when I'm out, I won't listen to music, and when I'm out, I won't actually 
often draw or paint there, unlike plein air painters who do that, you know, there's many really good plein air painters working in the Peak District at the moment. A lot of them with an organisation called Peak District Artisans, so go to their website if you want to see some really, really good plein air painters, but that's not me and that's not the way I do it. When I'm out there I like to experience the environment firsthand, record, sometimes I record um, lines and shapes in, in a sketchbook, but I never sit there and do a fully rendered piece. I use photography as well to capture things and then, and then bring that back. But the whole time you're thinking about paintings, sometimes thinking about music, sometimes even thinking about film and theatre, because, you know, in terms of cinematography, there's some great filmmakers that have, that have visually solved these problems as well. So, yeah, art is, is, is kind of a problem-solving thing, and when you think about how artists have done it, that, really, uh, that can really inform the work that you produce yourself. Do you think that with Kinderskow and similar moorland-type landscapes, do you think it is particularly challenging to put across into artwork? Absolutely. I mean, the rock formations are pretty straightforward, and there's, you know, there's been some fabulous uh, artwork produced of a, of, of a lot of the rock formations in, in the Peak District. But the most difficult thing is where, where you get the, you know, you get the peat moorland, or you get the, most notably, the clouds. You know, the way the weather can change so quickly. And that is really, really difficult to depict and a huge challenge and one that I've definitely not solved. And I think maybe that's what keeps me going out there because I've certainly not done anything that I feel is a, an adequate rendition of anything that I've felt or seen up in the peaks yet. So, you know, we keep going out there to try and solve that puzzle. Yet you know it's possible because you've got these paintings yeah. depicted in this brilliant handout that you've given me. Yeah, like a good teacher, <laughs> I've made a handout. Paul Henry does it, absolutely does it. And Norman Aykroyd, one of the, great, the greatest living printmaker, I believe, now, when you're talking about, you know, like sheets of rain or showing temperature within a, within a piece or showing, you know, you, you can almost, uh, when, I, when I saw the Norman Aykroyd show that was at Yorkshire Sculpture Park, I think it was called Furthest Lands, and it was, uh, a lot of it was stuff from the West Coast, you could almost smell the salt of the sea, you know, when you were looking at the way that the breakers are against the rocks and the way that he captures the light catching the breakers across the rocks. You, you know, you could almost smell salt when you, when you were looking at them. So, yeah, absolutely, it's definitely possible. And, I can uh, literally feel your excitement. Right yeah, <laughs> and th there's another one in the booklet as well that I'll show you, and he's, a, he's an artist that paints out of Norfolk that I came across a few years ago called uh, John Newland, and he paints really sort of, you know, the, the good words, you know, that some people see as, you know, negative, you know, bleak. Um, empty. Flat. Flat, <laughs> yeah. That's how people always describe yeah. Norfolk. Yeah, and, and, but, but he, he depicts it in such, such a sensitive and beautiful way. You know, that you, you, know, you can't help falling in love with, with, with the way that he, he, he paints those, those scenes. And it, and it reveals, you know, you, you look at his work and then you go back and look at the landscape and you're looking at it in a, a more elevated way. You know, take considering the way that he looks at that landscape then gives adds to the way that you look at that landscape uh, when you go back and in terms of that like you say the flatness that's perfect because the way with the big Norfolk skies which is very much like on the plateau you know when you're on the plateau you know there's some big skies up there some days when the clouds not in some of those some of those skies can be pretty vast and to depict that on a you know a, a small canvas or even in a smaller sketchbook 
you know, it's, uh, it's pretty inspiring. Sometimes I look at the sky when I'm from kinder and I think it does actually look like the world's about to end. Yeah, <laughs> well, absolutely. It's so dramatic. Yeah, and it's so big. And when you, when you can get into some of those cloughs and stuff, and, and you, you know, have you ever done that thing, it's something that you do with the kids when they're little, you lie on the back and try and disorientate yourself. So what you're looking at almost becomes unrecognisable, the landscape or as the sky. And you spend, you spend a moment, it's a little bit like when portrait painters stare at themselves too long in the mirror, you start to lose the connection of, of what a self is. And I don't know whether you've done that exercise. It's pretty creepy, actually, if you, if you try and outstare yourself in a mirror. After a while, things start to break <laughs> down. Yeah, and, it, and it's the same when you're looking at a landscape. You know, the, you know, you take time. I mean, how many times have you been up kinder? Five years worth. Five years <laughs> worth. And I bet in that five years worth, every single time you go up there, something new is revealed. You know, you get, wh whether it's new sounds, whether it's new smells, whether it's new sights, every time you enter into a landscape, new things are revealed and to you. And new people as mm. well. That's the thing I've learned to love about Kinder is it's people, like who just pops up out of one of the um, Pete Hags. <laughs> and why are they there? Yeah. Because everybody's there for a different reason. Yes. <laughs> you know, some people are there for the outdoors, some people are there for the fitness, some people are there for the art. You can't help think about the people that trod those paths before because there's some old paths up there that crisscross, especially along the ridges because the ridges were the sla safest places to travel. And so you think about all of the, the footfall uh, across those, uh, especially across Kinder mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and around the ridges around Edale, and you think about why they were there, what they were doing. The pack horse routes, like you've, you've depicted um, the Jacob's Ladder mm -hmm. through your artwork, haven't you? Mm. And that is just to sit there and imagine that someone used to live there, um, one of the Jaggers, and to think about the horses that would pass through there so long ago. Mm, ancient route, you know, ancient, ancient routes. And, you know, does landscape hold memory? Well, it might do physically, because if you look at all the stones that have been laid down, you know, for, for as you say, the horses or the other people to move along. And then below that layer, you've got the geology, which is just mind-blowing. You, you know, can't you, even you, comprehend how you know, you're like, well, old that is. Yeah, it, it used to be a sea. And what, the, these rocks are made up of small animals' bodies? You know, it's, <laughs> so it's layers upon layers and upon layers. And there you are on the top of it, trying to make sense of it all. And ultimately, I mean, I don't want to get it heavy this early on in the conversation. <laughs> ultimately, you know, thinking about, well, what is this? What is this existence? How do we respond to this existence? You know, what, what is it that we are here in this place now? So it can, uh, yeah, all of that. It's going to be so interesting to hear your perspective as, a, as an artist, because when I wrote my initial list of who I wanted to invite as guests, one of them was artists, and I had no idea who that would be. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I did a quick Google of Kinder Scout artists, yeah. and not much came up. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I know, and that's really interesting, because it's not, you know, there are, there are certain artists that have s relationships with, or creatives, shall I say, let's widen it up. You are creatives that have firm relationships with certain landscapes. Um, the Lake District being one of them, for example. So, you know, you've got like Wordsworth and Coleridge with, you know, their relationship uh, in the Lake District. And uh, one of the other pictures that I'd like to share with you today, that isn't in the collection, but this, this is in a gallery in, uh, in Grasmere. And it's a, an artist called Heaton Cooper and a watercolour artist, also, I think, painted in, in oils as well. And inextricably linked with the Lake District and some absolutely beautiful, beautiful renditions. I mean, this is my favourite. And I mean, if you look at the light on that view of Scarfell, it's so sensitive and so beautiful. And as well, another one of my top, top favourites, Wainwright. 
again, linked with the, the Lake District, you just can't, you know, I know his guidebooks and the walks and, you know, you know, imagine having a range of mountains named after you, you know, the Wainwrights. That, you know, that's a legacy, isn't it? That's a real legacy. But, 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 look at his drawing. I mean, you know, an ink, a, a, a small ink, what, when that was drawn originally, that won't be bigger than A4. They're the, the reproduced smaller than A5. To capture a vista using ink marks in such a small space in so much detail and, by the way, so accurately, because I've seen, I've seen this particular one um, published with the photograph of it where it is next to it. This is a, a drawing of Pillar, um, and this is from his Lakeland sketchbook series. And the photograph is next to it in one of the reproductions that I've seen, and it's so accurate. And it wasn't recorded on photography. He sat there and, and sketched that and then came back to his house and inked it up. Now that's, that's good work, that, that's really, really good work. And obviously it appeals to me because of my, uh, my attraction to uh, monochrome and just working in black and white. But, you know, if you, the, these are both next to each other. And, and, and the lakes, they all say the lakes. As I say, Wordsworth, Coleridge, Heaton Cooper, Alfred Wainwright say the lakes. Is there an equivalent for the Peak District? I'm not sure that there is. What there is in the Peak District now currently is loads of really, really good contemporary artists and there's some good independent galleries. Gallery Top in Rowsley and then you've got the old lockup gallery in Matlock, at Coppola in um, Sheffield, as well as we've got you know, the big gallery here at, in Sheffield, three sites. There isn't one big name that's associated, I don't think, with the, specifically with the Peak District, certainly not, not with Kinder. And I think it's to do with something that you alluded to earlier. It's difficult to capture. You know, it's not like a drawing of Scarfell. To capture Kinder is, a, I think, a harder proposition. So I don't know, may, maybe that is, uh, maybe it's not. I know it's not for one of trying, because there's, there's, I've seen a tremendous amount of artwork produced uh, of that area. I think there's definitely a spot for some artists to lay down a marker <laughs> in that area. And sure. you're one of them. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But uh, yeah, there's definitely, uh, yeah, there's definitely a little, uh, a little opportunity there. Do you feel that you are connecting with the landscape on a deeper level throughout that process? Yeah, yeah, I know, and it's it's an, it's a, a, a college and university, and something that I say in my classroom, something that artists have often said to me as well, and. I, I've no, it's an apocryphal saying, and I don't know who came up with it first, but to know something, you've got to draw it a hundred times. And that, everybody said, loads of people have said that to me, and I've said it to countless students. It heightens your understanding of anything, whether it's a portrait, whether it's a still life, you know, whether it's allegory, whether you're trying to tell a story, or whether it's, whether it's a landscape. When you draw, you engage with it on a, a more sensitive level, and the more you draw it, the the more it reveals itself to you, but then at the same time, you realise how much you don't know. So through painting and drawing in the Peak District, I've got to know a bit more about geology. I've got to know a little bit more about history. I've got to know a, bit more, a little bit more about the art scene. But then each time you go, it reveals a bit more, which then shows you a, a, an even more, a, you know, another step that you don't know about. So yeah, I find that drawing landscape certainly gives you a kind of grounded connection to a place. I recommend it. You know, if you, if you like somewhere, go and sit down and draw it or photograph it and take it home and draw, draw from that. And uh, yeah, it certainly makes you uh, think and consider it in a different way. What does Kinder Scout reveal to you? I'm a big fan 
of melancholy. And it's, it's, I mean, it's probably got a different name now. And working in education and working with young people, something you, we do work on a lot at the moment and something we hear a lot is when people talk about anxiety and people talk about depression. And f for me, that's different words for the same thing. Because essentially, you know, the, the human condition, we, we, we are, um, you, you know, if you, if you manage to eke out a little bit of happiness in this life, good on you, that's great, that's amazing. But I don't think that that's all that life is to offer. And I think there's something about kinder, especially kinder, but also on some of the edges, on a dark day, on a, on a gloomy day, when, when you, know, you know nobody's going to be up there. You, know, you, you can tell when it's going to be one of those days because there's no ice cream vans in the car park. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even the coffee seller's packed up. <laughs> and they've got off and the car park's looking empty and it's, and it's, and it's early or it's late. You know, it's an awkward time you know, a, a Tuesday at half 11, you know. And w when you go up into those spaces at that time, from my perspective, it, it manifests thoughts and feelings that you, you relate to what would, be, what would be feelings of melancholy because you're not presented with what you would call a beautiful view, but you are presented with a stirring view uh, and a view that, that, that gives you... Um, it kind of gives you this strange feeling in the pit of your stomach and it's a little bit like, I get this from Norman Aykroyd's printmaking, you're driving through the Peak District, you know, you, you come up through when it's past. And on a busy day and on a sunny day, you, you know, it, it looks lovely, but when you go in the, on the dark days and the gloomy days, or as you do, as I did when I was a child, spend a lot of time on the Snake Pass driving up at night through fog. And then as you're coming around the corner, a, l a little bit of the, that north shoulder reveals itself through the cloud. As I say, the only thing I can relate it to is melancholy. I wouldn't go as far as dread, but it, it's not far off. But that's okay, you know what I mean? It's like a battery doesn't work if it's just positive. You know, you need, as a, as a, as a, as a creative, you need to experience, you know, you do need to experience joy, you do need to experience happiness, but you also need to experience melancholy, you also need to experience sadness in order for, for your work to be, to be rounded. And there's just something about those landscapes, as I say, when the, when the weather's terrible, there's an otherworldliness to it. And I think I've heard a lot of people saying that, especially up on the plateau, there's an otherworldliness to it when you're up there. And it's blooming hard to capture in art, and that's the mission, to try and capture that and bring that back but it's certainly tough. And do you feel like it stirs up emotions in you? You know, sometimes I think if you're maybe just going to work or you're in your home environment, sometimes it can be hard to release emotions, really feel things. Do you think that being out in landscapes like that allow that space for you to let it through, stir it up? I wouldn't say that visiting a place can help change the way you feel. Um, because I think the way you feel is the way you feel. You know, you can you can have an epiphany in the bathroom. You can you know you can so, you know you can have a revelation waiting in a queue in a coffee shop. But I think especially what Kinder gives you is it gives you time because you can't get on the plateau unless you invest some time. You can't. Uh, uh, one of my favourite places, Big Moor. You know, you can't really get into the centre of Big Moor without without giving it some time. And time in the landscape certainly does does offer something 
What? I'm not sure. Maybe that thing is tacit. Maybe that thing is can't be explained in words, which is why people make music about it or paint pictures about it or <laughs> do dance interpretations of it because there are some things that you can't put into words, you know, and that's, that's the essence of what, what a tacit experience is, isn't it? There's, words aren't good enough. And that's why I look at, like looking at paintings because sometimes when you look at a painting, it does give you that same feeling that you get out when you're in there. So should we have a look at yeah, can Bog we? on the Moor? Yeah, that would be. <laughs> we're not going to look at Rain on the Bog because that was in a, a that's in a different collection. But what we are going to look at is one that was released recently, which is the Village by the Lake, and that's one that you've got in your collection here. Is that right, Elizabeth? It is. Let's just imagine that this is my classroom, and I'd you'd like love that, wouldn't you? <laughs> I would because I've got a captured audience. I can talk about art all day, and no one can get away. And and what I'll do is I'll just break this down the way that I would with students, which means that you're going to have to be involved because the first thing that I would say that if you were a student in my room before I introduced anything about this artist, often before I've even said your name, is I'd say to you, "What do you see?" The sky, the huge bubbling <laughs> clouds. Beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and how that actually dominates most of the space and then below it are these yeah, layers of mountains and buildings, like houses. But yeah, this, I think it's the sky that, that really grabs me. How on earth the clouds have been created like that, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because they don't stay still for that long, do they? <laughs> As a landscape picture, it's interesting that there's so much space given to the sky mm. because with photography, I mean, I'm no professional photographer, but with photography, I tend not to have too much sky in there unless it's particularly dramatic mm. or something. Mm. So I tend to, yeah, kind of cut the sky out and focus in on the mountains or the... So I think it's interesting how, yeah, the artist has really brought out the sky in this one. When we analyse art, and I'm going to give you a little bit more scaffolding to put that on now but I always start with that first question what do you see because as, as an educator you can be in danger of telling people what to think before you've let them decide themselves so I know as, a, as an art teacher before I say anything you just look at it and you, you know you, you you get what you want from it and the same with whether it's music or whether it's drama I think you know po poetry can be one where it's analyzed to death well, don't analyse it. Let's just read it first. Let's just listen to it first and have a, have a response to it, and then we can start building up on that. But what you said about the, the sky taking up so much space, when we talk about form and the scaffolding that I give young people, and it was developed by a, a guy called Rod Taylor, and they used a model called content form process mood. So when you're analysing paintings, after that initial response now, we look at this, and the thing that you've said about the composition of the sky obviously will fall under form because there's a really classic rule of thirds breakdown here. So the horizon there is on the thirds line, and then everything above that bottom third is sky. And breaking down compositions into rule of thirds is a really, really successful way um, to get a very, very, a composition that settles you. You know, when, when you look at that composition, it's, it's easy to decode compositionally because it's broken into those three strips and the majority of this. So that, that, that's why even though the, this sky is pretty awesome it's not intimidating uh, uh, within within that piece I mean the energy like something's brewing it is, it <laughs> is and that's what clouds are isn't it, it yeah. it's trapped energy it's it's like flux isn't it it's it's moisture but it's not quite 
at the point to be released, but it, it will be soon. I mean, the other thing that I like to think of when you look at cloud formations like this is you know when you are in the middle of one of those really, one of those uh, downpours that absolutely soak you through and all you can see is grey and purple and blue and sometimes pink, when you're in that, you know above it you've got stacks and stacks of beautiful cloud formations and, and when you see them coming in, in the peak, you know, you can get a good view of them away off. That's what I see. I, that's why I, I like Paul Henry because that, for me, is what we see when we're in the Peak District. How do you draw that cloud? It's amazing. Well, this is the thing. If we meet on Kinder and have a little walk, have a little chat, well, then we can go and get a coffee somewhere and I'll show you this technique. Going penny park. I love penny Yeah, I, I don't like got these lovely benches outside and I love sketching out there. Yeah, yeah. We'll do it because this is my sketchbook technique um, that I use because I only work in black and white, and so this is just Indian ink, pencil, and three fine liners. Wow, how much you can create with that! Uh, exactly. I've done loads of the, the rock formations on the plateau, every single ridge it's like a life drawing class. It's like you've got like 20 life models lounging in front of you when you look at those rock formations, you know, around the, the wall packs, and oh my preferred side no offense edale the north side which is where you've got the seal stones boxing glove stones fairbrook nays fabulous fabulous drawing material all around there do you just see gritstone rocks or do you see something else well you know though the weathered forms as i say you know you could be in a life class you could be looking at a torso could be looking at an elbow a shoulder all of those rock formations um, are really really good subjects and the best thing is they don't move so, <laughs> so you can sit and draw them for as long as you like. As well, the, the weathered aspects of them, where these have been sculpted out of hundreds of thousands of years of weather, that has just happened, and, and there those forms are. And you know, that's why I like drawing sky so much as well when you're looking at the clouds. You, you, know, you can always interpret those forms. The piece that I'm working on at the moment with the boxing glove stones, um, you know, we visited it yesterday, I've been here a couple of months ago, or last year, year, I think I first saw them. Maybe about six years ago was when I first encountered those. They're steady, they're solid, you can come back to them and have a look at them in different lights. Um, so, yeah, it's useful. It's this incredible subject. Is that what draws you back here, to come back time and time again? Well, yes, in a way. I, I walk a lot, a lot around the Peak District. I enjoy going to the lakes, Scotland, Wales. You know, there's, 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 we're blessed. There's lots of fine uh, landscapes uh, on our small island. But with Kinder, it sticks in my psyche somewhat. And I think it's because of when I first came across it, it which was many, many years ago, where my father, uh, who lived in Manchester, I lived in Warrington with my mum, but at weekends or a couple of times a month, I'd go and visit my dad. And he, he had a friend that lived in Sheffield and Chesterfield. So he'd, at the weekends, we'd drive through, uh, come out of Stockport, drive over. And we drove over in all kinds of weather conditions, all kinds of times of day and night, and the Snake Pass was absolutely beguiling. Um, you know, you drive through it at night, and it'd be like, you know, you have these like tunnels of trees that are lit up, and my, my dad and his friend that he used to go and visit were really, really good storytellers. And because I was quite little when we were in the car, we, were, we weren't just, you know, he wasn't going, oh, we're going to Sheffield let's go there was always a story and and at that point he'd be read we'd read not the full thing but he, he was reading me a couple of passages out of the lord of the rings book um he'd do a lot of drawing i'd do a lot and he'd be drawing like because he was really into fantasy and stuff so he'd be drawing like wizards and stuff 
and I'd see these sketches with all these like fairies and wizards in and they'd be in my mind and then the stories that he'd be telling me in my mind. My father's friend, um, Paul, was, a, was an incredible storyteller. So they'd, it'd all be to do with like giants and witches. And, and so I'd be driving on that road as like six, six year old coming down on, on the Snake Pass. And like when the mist cleared or the cloud cleared or a couple of times when, as we did back in the, back in the 70s and the early 80s, cars broke down quite a lot, much more than they do now. So we broke down a few times on, on the pass. <laughs> And to come from town, because, you know, I lived in towns, and then just to be in this space, looking up at Fairbrook Nays, which I didn't know that what it was called there, and the mist clearing and revealing these cloughs and peaks. I mean, I was there. I was, I was in this, this fantasy land where there was the witches hiding behind the trees, and over that ridge, that's where the giant lived, because that's what they were telling me. They were feeding me on this. And I absolutely believed it. And it just, I was completely taken, completely taken with the place. When after university, we moved, we, we, we settled in the area. I couldn't not visit. I had to come to this place that it, it was, it was a real, in, in terms of my, my childhood, I didn't even know it was called Kinder Scout, but it was, it was a snake pass and Kinder Scout was, it was like burned into my memory as this, this other place. It, it was always felt like a little bit dangerous, a little bit other, you know. So if we did get out of the car for a break, it'd be like, oh, don't go too far. But they wouldn't say, don't go too far because we'll have to come and get you. Oh, there's a river down there. We don't want you to slip in. They go, don't go too far because there's the witch and the witch lives beyond that ridge and the witch eats the children that she finds. And, you know, we were, we were like terrified. Like <laughs> they did. They used to make us cry with some of the stories. We were oh terrified. But excited at so the same time. So you were walking? No, no. Oh, no. They were just having a break so they could have a roll-up or something. I, you know, they just... <laughs> it was It was never... that we, we weren't outdoors. We so were, it's somewhere and, you were looking up to. Yes, we weren't an outdoorsy family at mm. all. So we didn't go, go into these places when I was a child. But we looked at them from a distance. Wow. But 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 it was stitched in with all these incredible stories of, as I say, giant... You know, we had a whole series of stories about giants and as I say, witches and dragons and stuff. And I absolutely believed it. I believed it 100%. So looking up at the north side of Kinder was just, as I say, it was like another land. It was like Mordor. It looked, and I believed it. Yeah, understandably, <laughs> yeah, as you do when you're that age. Like. So when did you actually start walking here then? And was it, were you terrified because of those stories? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because, you know, obviously I stopped believing in Father Christmas and, <laughs> and fairies and whatnot. But, but though, there is, uh, I, came, I started walking when, as I say, when we moved to the area, we, you know, myself and my partner, we got, we bought guidebooks as you do, old Charles Wild Goose. <laughs> and, and, you know, we started walking in the area, walking around Edale and the areas. But then sometimes, because I, I like to come out walking by myself, um, I like to walk in yeah, interesting conditions, you know, if it's windy or it's been snowing or, you know, again, even walking in the rain. I really enjoy walking in the rain. And there's nowhere locally that you're actually exposed to the elements as, as you are in kinder. You, you get your money's worth in terms of the elements when you when you come to kinder so yeah, you talked about the rocks uh, weathering being yeah. weathered and uh, i feel like my my face <laughs> by, <laughs> by kinder no for sure for sure <laughs> yeah and the and the outdoor apparel as well L losing a boot in a bog has <laughs> uh, happened several times and it's you, you know you get your money's worth for the for in terms of the conditions and the views as well i mean we're lucky today we've got an absolutely beautiful view in front of us here because it's, it's really clear the clouds 
clouds really high. But then equally, you know, you can come out and you can be in mist and you can be in fog. And that is where, even though I know I'm not going to get gobbled up by a giant, <laughs> but when I'm up there, when you're up there in the mist and the fog or the low light, it has got a very... Um, it, it does feel like an alien landscape, you know, when you're walking through some of the hags and the cloughs. It can feel like you're a long, long way away from anywhere. <laughs> Sometimes if you're out on your own in with the different conditions or say it's getting dark and occasionally you can get a little bit spooked. I've been unnerved a couple of times while I've been out and it's not necessarily because the conditions are dangerous or anything like that. You just get, I don't know, you just get a little bit of a spooky feeling. In terms of presence, I'm really interested in what's gone before. You know, when you're looking at a path. So when you're looking at some of the paths, like some of the some of the paths up here, and I know in in less safe times, ridges and edges were used as as transit areas because they were safer than going into the you know into the the sort of the murky woods and stuff. So one th one presence that I do I don't know whether it's a presence but it's something I think about a lot when I'm out walking is who else has walked here what what have they walked here for when were they walking here why were they walking here and I know up on on the ridge over on Mam Tor there was buildings up there there were settlements up there that had been trade round here there's quarries round here I mean almost all kinds of rituals what, what kind of rituals have took place up here? Because I know that standing stones form part of British history and they were, they were used quite often as, I mean, you've got outdoor churches and things like that. So do we have memories? Do we keep these memories? Does uh, Sharma's book on uh, landscape and memory it's, it's, it's quite an interesting, I mean, it's a hefty tome. It's very, it's quite difficult to get through. But <laughs> as, a, as a reference, it's really quite interesting because how do places remember people and, and, as, and people, how do people remember places? And that's, that's something I'm always conscious of when I'm out walking. Because Kind is so remote, or it feels so remote, and if you're by yourself, um, you just get a long, long, long time to think about these things. And, and, of, and often thoughts are related to the feelings that you're, you're having when you're out there, I find. And is it a place that you like to come alone or is it a place that you enjoy sharing with friends and family or do you like a bit of both? I, I like I like both, uh, all three actually, where you can come in on your own, brilliant, come in, bring in people, so taking people that might not know um, um, the, the, the landscape as well as you, that's, that's, that's a lovely thing because sharing is joyful, sharing's places like this but I also enjoy coming out with a friend of mine that's a very very capable mountain leader and he he's he's a chap that brought me up here the first time in really heavy snow maybe it must be about six years ago now maybe seven and he brought me out here in, and I wouldn't at, at the time I wouldn't have had the confidence to come up here in those conditions by myself because it, it really was deep and it was it was hectic and a few snowstorms coming in as well and we're, I just had the best time I just had the best time. I had icicles hanging off my hair. Um, <laughs> it was it was grim. It felt it was freezing, and we sat up on the coffee, and and looking across when we looked across the ridge, we were, we were and we were we we, we had a break um, uh, to to have a look, and it was absolutely stunning. And so all three of those ways of coming out, I really really enjoy. Um, but I think probably coming out with the people that knew where to take me and how to navigate the landscape was probably been the most important thing because otherwise I wouldn't have been up here in the first place um, I'd have just done what I did when a kid which was look at it from a distance because it is lovely to look at from a distance as well isn't it as well as being on it um, it's, it's, it, it, it's quite a um, 
it's quite a feature, isn't it, around here? You can sort of, you, you can't miss it really. So uh, I enjoy looking at it from a distance. But up there, it's different, especially in the middle. You know, when you get into the when you get into the middle, which you know you you, you probably could, you could go for days without seeing anybody else once you once you're in the bit where it's it's widest. And uh, getting lost in there is quite fun. It's nice. It's a fun activity, provided the conditions are right, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, going up there and, and, and putting your map away and your phone and whatnot and compass and just having a good wander and getting lost, it's, it does feel, it's, it's, it feel uh, as I say, it feels like you're a long, long way from anywhere. Is it something you actually do? Do you consciously put away your map and sort of just wander about? Yeah, yeah. I like, I do, I do enjoy doing that when I'm walking. I'm... I'm not really interested in sort of summits or touching trig points or any of that kind of thing. I like uh, I like going to places, but then having a just having a mooch, having having an amble. I I did it. My uh, my sister-in-law used to work uh, used to live in London, and it's something I used to do on the tube. If I'd go out looking for places to draw um, or f- photograph, I'd get on the tube with no particular destination in mind and just get off at a station I've never got off before and just see what's there, have a look round. I mean, that's where one of my, uh, that's how I ended up in, I ended up in Brixton once down Electric Avenue and it was, the, it was just the most rich, interesting place to, to, to draw and paint. Um, never, I didn't have any reason to go there, never been there before in my life, absolutely no connection with it and then came across it and there was an incredible bridge life vibrant shops people sound smells and that was just on a wonder and now it's it's exactly the same you know in in the peak district for me on kinder yes i'll go out with walks for friends or yes i'll go out for a walk on my own and i have an idea of what i want to do and or where we want to go especially if there's a group um but if i'm out just by myself just if there's something that looks interesting I'll just follow it and um, I'm not really a, I mean we're alright on kinder because those people did that good work on getting us access so can you maybe take us on a bit of a walk with you if you were walking on your own if you had a, day, a whole day mm. on kinder how can we experience it through your eyes and your thoughts what what happens when you're when you've got the freedom yeah, to yeah, play yeah that's a good question I've never thought of it like that before because first of all I I draw a lot of landscapes I paint landscape but I don't do it I'm not plein air I don't I don't work outside um, I have done sketches and stuff in the past outside but I I found it got in the way so you know if, if you're coming out to paint you got you get your easel and your paints and this and you've got to consider right well the paint's wet so how am I going to get it back and the, and and it just put layers and layers and layers on the experience for me and it's a little bit like right we've got to get to this peak we've got to get to that trig point uh, we're going to do this circuit and we're going to get that as well yes you want an idea but that also if I was by myself that also puts some slight baggage on the experience so i do come out with a i like to call it a cinematic eye so when you come out you come out like a director of photography you're all you know you think composition wise you're always looking for an angle an interest in something in the foreground or yeah so camera phones are just the best thing ever uh, iphone software is much better than my camera photography skills as well so it, it you know i capture 
everything that I draw from through through my phone. So all, all of the drawings, paintings, prints that I do come through photography because and i know there's some purists out there that will be like that will they have the opposite of that you know they're plenty of papers there is actually some art movements that have certain rules where rule number one is we don't work from photographs and that's fine but for me what i get from the experience of being outside without having to lug or think about equipment is worth it for when i take that photo back because it's the experience i think sticks sticks with you there's no agenda you can come out without a mission and you can have a wander and you can, you can well, forecasts are quite good, but you never 100% know what the wind's going to do, what the weather's going to do, what the conditions are going to do, what the light's going to do. So you can follow it. You can go on a little trail and then you can follow that round. So I suppose, you know, you set out, you come out for a walk. What does it look like? Yes, I've got a bit of an idea of where I want to go, but I like just to have a mooch, have a wander, see, follow what looks interesting, see if there's some... Like if there's a little 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 stream or a little brook that you want to follow, um, very very important. Flask of coffee. You have to have a flask of coffee. Have you I, already finished yours. I know, I know, and I'm <laughs> I'm gonna get a coffee on the on the way back on Edale. Yeah, you have to have a flask of very very strong black coffee because um, the day is just not the day without that. <laughs> and being open to maybe having a little mini adventure. You know where the the outcome. You know you want to get home. You know you don't want the outcome to be in jeopardy. But where 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 the outcome of the journey is, there's a there's a little bit of flexibility in it. There's a little bit of imagination in it. There's a little bit of uh, you, you know you're not too tied down to a plan for for to miss out on another experience. And it might be that you end up walking a third of the distance that you expected to do or it might be as as often happens with me when i get a bit late and get in trouble for being late quite rightly where you end up going far too far because you followed something and you're like oh hang on a minute i'm three hours in but this hasn't been circular i've gone in a straight line looks like i'm doing a six hour walk today so but you know it's, it's a bit of both really but yeah not being as i say not just having such a plan that allows you to miss out on a bit of serendipity. And what is it that really captures your attention? What will make you go off completely off course that will kind of reel you in? Well, the, the artist Alberto Giacometti had a had a, had a, a saying, and he, he referred to it as things that were uh, that are rendered in your vision. And it's, I mean, he uh, experienced and saw some pretty horrific things. In the Second World War, and a lot of his drawings and sculptures have echoes of that um, in it, and and that's what he was referring to. Um, so I'm not I'm not directly comparing the saying to that, but the idea of something being rendered in the, your vision. When um, a few years ago at an allotment, there was a telegraph po- uh, uh, a pylon on the allotment, and it was absolutely full of starlings. And it was uh, it was in London, it was my sister-in-law's allotment. I'm just doing a bit of digging, there was no one else there. There was a thunderstorm coming in, and this t- uh, pylon was full of starlings. And then all of a sudden, there was an absolute crackle of thunder and lightning. And all these starlings s- took off at once. And so there was a pylon, the lightning strike, and then there was like starlings, but all in the shape of a pylon like right next to it in that split second where they because because they'd still had the form of the pylon next to the pylon and then it was gone and that has been like seared into my 
brain because it was just that moment of, of something being rendered in your vision and it's the and it's the same uh, on kinder and in landscapes there's certain spots like for me i mean i don't know why i absolutely love the boxing glove stones and i could just go back and go back and go back to them because there's something where i'll keep i'll keep visiting those and there's just certain things that you look at that just they just draw you in i mean and afterwards you can do some post analysis to say why they draw you in but you know the, it, it could be a it could be a feeling the thing about up here as well on kinder it's the light the light i mean today it's just clear it's absolutely crystal clear it's and you, you know you can you can see for miles but then other times uh, like yesterday the, the rain was absolutely smashing down in sheets and it was really windy but the sun was just trying to come through the clouds and you could see this sort of sort of the, the, the light this kind of really cold grey hue was kind of cast over everything and there was like purples and then there was um, like almost like uh, it it, it it's like there's someone up there doing lighting effects and so you know you, you you look at the landscape you look at the but then with the what the light and the and the and the weather and it's just if something catches your eye just go and have a look go and be nosy when, when you're up there and you think as i said before about being late i've been caught out a few times because you think oh yeah just over there just over there but it's actually massive you know and there is there's there's areas up here that i still haven't explored and so i've probably been coming up here for maybe sort of 10, 15, about 10, 12 years. And, and the st apart from when, obviously, when I was a child and I first visited, looking at it, but I didn't come up. But there's still places and areas that I, I definitely want to go. And I, I think I've, I've done, I've done a, good few, a good few goes on this side, on the Edale side, and on the north side. But I'm really interested in the, the downfall. But then I'm, the, the, there are other ends that are certainly less trodden that I think there's, there's still a bit of good exploring to do around there. So maybe thinking back to what you were saying about how you were introduced to Kinder, which was driving along the Snake Pass mm. through these terrifying stories. Yeah. <laughs> what now makes you wild about Kinder and how does that compare with how you were introduced to the area? It's still the same, you know, that idea of, I don't want it, I wouldn't want Kinder to become too familiar. You know, I like it being a little bit distant and a little bit mysterious. And it's, you know, my relationship with Kinder, it keeps the romance alive because I don't, I don't know it that well. And it's, it can be a bit dangerous, um, especially in the winter. Um, we came up this winter, um, which we were going to go to the downfall um, because it was, it was frozen. Um, but we didn't get that far. And we didn't worry that we didn't get that far because we got caught in a most tremendous uh, snowstorm. We couldn't we couldn't see anything. It was a couple of meters um, in front of us, and so it, it felt it's you know it felt wild. It felt edgy, and I and I and I love that. And I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't ever want to know it that well that it got boring. And so the re you know the the reason I like you know the reason I do like it and I do keep coming is it's got it's it's still. It's still showing me things. It's still revealing things about itself. I mean, and even this exercise today, I was talking about it and listening to your podcast about other people talking about it. All of those things reveal a little bit more about it. It feels elemental. You know, it feels wild. It feels, it, it feels, um, do you know what? I'm not, I'm going to stop talking. 
but there is a word for it. It's called tacit. It's when things can't be explained by words. There are. This is. You know. This is why I'm struggling. There are. You know. I can't explain it. That's why I draw it. That's why art exists. That's why music exists. We. There are things that can't be explained through words. And I think. I think the best way, if you want to know why I'm. Uh, I like it so much. Look at one of the drawings that I did of it. That will explain to you more about it than I can with words, because I think I'm better at drawing than I am at talking. You shared a story with me, didn't you? Some mm. writing that you did mm. about the snake pass. Mm. Where? When did you write that? Oh, I wrote that. A friend of mine runs a, a writing group called uh, Scribbles, and it's where you know new writers or people that are interested in writing and illustration actually, and they've, they've published some art through it as well. And it was just. You know, when you have, like, there was, as I say, my father and his friend were really good storytellers. You know, they loved a yarn and, you know, they never, they never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Mm-hmm. And, and I just thought, you know, I want to I try and capture that. I want to try and put that down. So I did, and it was, it, was really, it was a really lovely thing to do. So it was just a little story about one particular journey that I remember um, because they were, I think the best way to explain them would be entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurs out on some adventure and we broke down um, on the on the pass. And that was, yeah, it was just it was just a story about that experience because it it was so rich as a as a memory because I could, you know, I could still smell the part like because it was pine forest and it was a hot day, but it had been raining in the morning. And so, and then it was, it was just on the other side of, on the north side of Kinder. So you have, you kind of have this kind of ferny, brackish, pine, piney smell was, it just went, when the car door opened, it just filled my senses. And then you get out into this, you know, the sun's coming through the pine trees. You can see the, the looming shadow of Kinder in, in the background. And it was just, it was just, it was rendered in my vision. It was, it was one of those memories that was, that was so, so clear through, through the sensory experience. And I just thought, I might try and put that down in words. I mean, I don't know whether I did it, uh, I did it any justice, but certainly it was a, a very formative memory in terms of why, why I love being out in the landscape. Well, I think you are really good with words. It's been such a rich experience to meet you and to listen to your stories and also hear about kinder through your yeah through your artistic descriptions of it so thank you so much for meeting up with me in sheffield and for meeting here today yeah yeah Um, and thank you because this has been a really really enjoyable experience you know pulling together thoughts about drawing and landscape yeah it's been it's been very good and thanks for all the work because i've really enjoyed listening to some of your other episodes okay they're the couple from uh i mean i know it doesn't look like it looks like a lot stormier but they're the couple from when we were they were working from some shots when we were out and about um, oh the, what from the other when day. we were yeah up on um, jacob's Jacob yeah. ladder yeah and then that was the one when i went back to oyster uh, where i was I like like the grass in the foreground. Yeah, because that's a mixed media approach, that. So I've got graphite and charcoal. So sometimes you can go just, you know, you just pick one one material and stick with that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just graphite, um, which, you know, always looks lovely. But then sometimes it's nice just to mix it up a bit. So, you know, across the book, so you've got some that are just ink. This is ink and watercolour. But then also you can introduce, there's a, like a straight graphite one. But then you can introduce... You've even like picked up the curves and the bark and... 
oh, on that, on that particular tree. Yeah, trees That's are fascinating. Amazing. Drawing trees is like drawing people.